This is the From Checker to Green podcast with your hosts, Elliot Tardiff and David Maudie. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is From Checker to Green, the podcast all about racing is told by two lifelong racing fans and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 31. I am Elliot Tardiff, alongside my colleague, David Maudy. David, good evening. Good evening, Elliot. How's things with you? Things are well here. Um, we're dodging a uh, rather severe snowstorm uh, that's going to go up and uh, give the, uh, the northeastern United States a pretty good whack here this weekend. Um, with feet of snow, a lot of wind, um, a lot of coastal flooding, but um, down here, probably in the, in the in the Carolinas, probably just a, a dusting, maybe an inch or so, and that'll be it. So, um, otherwise, um, happy to uh, have my family all in good health still, and looking forward to uh, maybe doing a little playing in the snow again this weekend. Yeah, things are going well here. We're, we're going to dodge it. Um, we, we're we're going to get the cold, um, you know, probably not much snow coming from it up here in central New York. It's actually staying far, far away this time. But, yeah, things are good. We're, we've got snow up here, good health up here. Going to be 45 next week up here in, up here in central New York. So... Um, it's a yeah. heat wave for y'all, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> maybe all the snow will finally melt and I can get my Christmas decorations down. Oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> the The one tree's about half buried in the front yard. Oh wow! <laughs> but yeah, um, things are going well. But I gotta say, Elliot, you know what? I am getting excited i mean i know it stinks i'm a bills fan and uh, if we got fellow bills fans who listen to this man that was a tough loss sunday but i gotta say one thing guess what we got racing coming back this weekend and it is gonna be fun we know racing season is begun we've got the world of outlaws down in down in volusia we've got the Rolex 24, the Bush Classic Clash is coming up in in the next week, you know, at the LA Coliseum, and it's all leading up to what's going to be a a a really interesting Daytona 500, I think, this year. So, Elliot, we've got racing again. Indeed, um, there's and there's been a lot of racing being had uh, during the off season, but in a testing uh, format. And that's actually going to be the subject of our spotlight in this episode is talking about everything that's happening with the new generation of race car for the cup series, the gen seven car and everything that has gone into making this car uh, race worthy and ready to go in 2022. And there's a lot to talk about with that. And we're going to talk about that here in a little while. But first, we need to take a look back at the end of the 2021 season and 
recap how that ended and our thoughts on uh, what was an amazing 2021 season for uh, all three major NASCAR racing series. Yeah, let's definitely get into it because it, it definitely was interesting, Elliot. Oh, for sure. So briefly looking at the um, uh, the Cup Series heading into the season finale of Phoenix, uh, the headlines coming out of uh, the last time we talked about the Cup Series, which was at Bristol, um, was Kyle Larson winning a race that um, Kevin Harvick was on his way to winning, but a dust-up with Chase Elliott eventually um, undid those undid those ambitions and uh, Larson took the win there from there they went to Las Vegas and from there they went to Las Vegas and once again it was about the Toyotas returning to dominance and Denny Hamlin certainly did that taking the win at Vegas from there it was on to Talladega and Bubba Wallace for the for the first year 2311 racing team becomes the first African-American driver since Wendell Scott back in 1963 to win a Cup Series race, winning at Talladega. From there, it was Hendrick Motorsports all the way to the last race at Phoenix. Kyle Larson taking the next three races at the Charlotte Roval, Texas, and Kansas. And then Alex Bowman taking the win and taking the win away from Denny Hamlin and so doing at Martinsville. So David, uh, curious to, to hear your thoughts heading into uh, the season finale. This just seemed like it was, it was destined to be between the Chevys and the Toyotas, between, between Hendrick and Gibbs, the two yeah. teams that were nigh unstoppable all 2021. Most certainly. I mean, it, it definitely was showing that that showdown was coming. I mean, yep. it, it was it was amazing. You know, Bubba Wallace winning and, and Taylor Dega winning a race that was postponed the day before. Yeah. You know, not to mention that and 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 winning actually a rain shorn race, too. I, you know, he it had rained and. He that was, um, you know, they ended up doing 311 miles. Um, so that was that was a range shorn race. That was amazing to see. I, you know, that that was the probably the biggest thing that that could happen in the playoffs was a non playoff driver winning a race, and it yeah. wasn't. And in the past few playoffs, that hasn't happened. And it finally happened. And and, not, and on top of it, Bubba Wallace at a track that, um, you know, we, we talked about last year, the, the issues that happened at Talladega. And, and he won flat yeah. out there. And, you know, that, that was amazing. But yeah, Kyle Larson, I just, I mean, I look at the playoff races going up to Phoenix and he had won four of them going into Phoenix. I mean, talk about, you know, a, another driver who had a bounce back after first, you know, after what happened last year and yeah. how he missed the season. 
and, and even the start of this year too i mean oh. he he had a lot of speed and and you know you could tell that that five team was um was on their way to doing something special they just had to get out of their own way first and figure yeah. out how to win and yeah i mean once they that, did that then it was it was on from there in a huge and, way and that five team i mean when was the last time the number five team for hendrick was really good mid-90s with with texas terry labonte texas terry but then also mark martin brought that that well, car and, well, and kyle bush too well, well, yeah, well, Kyle Bush, we can, let's just chalk it up to, he Youthful was pretty, exuberance, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, you throw, <laughs> yeah, thank you, we, um, you, and I, had some, you, some, you and I had some harsh rewards back then, <laughs> yeah, um, but, um, but the, um, the five was, was decent oh, up to that point, yeah, and, but the, but the thing is, that race at Martinsville. And I remember, I mean, I remember seeing a tweet. I think it was Pacris tweeted something. And I'm like, uh-oh, what's going on? So I had recorded the race because I wanted to watch it. You know, it's Halloween and my kids are going to go out. And, you know, I, it, you know, we, we were going to see family for, you know, show the girl, you know, have my in-laws you know see them in their costumes so you know so i recorded the race and i i also turned on the nascar radio scanner and i'm listening to like chase elliott to see what happened to him thinking oh no is he gonna miss the final four and you know i'm listening to it and then and then i watched it and I saw how that unfolded and what Bowman did. I mean, that that wasn't on purpose. That was just hard racing. Yep. And I don't blame Denny Hamlin for reacting the way he did. But the crowd cheered. And why did they cheer? Because he did that to Chase Elliott a few years ago. Yeah. And it's, you know... it's racing it's what builds these rivalries and that was very interesting i would say i think it's very interesting that the hometown driver gets booed out of his hometown racetrack um that won't be the last yeah it won't but yeah i thought that was that was interesting for sure yeah so let's talk about phoenix let's do it so um, we had uh, the, the final four going into Phoenix were Kyle Larson, um, Chase Elliott, Truex, and Denny Hamlin. And uh, it was a spirited battle the whole way. Um, and uh, for a while, it looked like Denny Hamlin might, uh, uh, might run away with it. But Larson had a strong car, and there was a late caution for debris. Um, and one final round of pit stops and Kyle Larson's crew turned, turned out a, um, a championship caliber pit stop for their driver and got him off pit road first. And for the remaining laps of the race, there was no catching and no denying Kyle Larson, the race win his 10th of the season and the championship, his first championship in the NASCAR cup series. 
thrilling race. I mean, it, it was an amazing race to watch. It was great. It was unbelievable. I, you know, I got to put it that way. It was unbelievable, you know, how things shaped out in the end, you know, between Larson and you had Truex. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you had Chase Elliott lead. Um, you know, the only one who didn't lead laps in it out of the playoff content out of the final four was Hamlet. And that was, I mean, either Even way, he was, he was, oh, yeah. you know, a strong contender all night. Yeah. All of them were. Oh yeah. And so, so it was Larson, Truex, Hamlin, and Elliot, your final four in points. Um, I, I think it's interesting on racing reference, Elliot, that if we did the, if this was non-playoff, Kyle, Kyle Larson would have still won. But Danny mm-hmm. Hamlin would have finished second. Chase Elliott would have been third. Truex would have finished eighth. Yeah. In points. Yeah. And 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 that's what I mean, that's what making the playoffs is and, and being consistent is gonna give you that shot. Because yeah. there there would have never, you know, Truex would have never had a shot at a second title. Um yeah. But yeah, Larson wins it. Hendrick picks up another title. Chevy gets another title. Um, Hendrick gets two in a row. Um, You know, two championships in a row. So now, you know, even though Larson's defending the championship, you've got Hendrick going into this season, you know, on a two championship streak. That yeah. who can dethrone him? Now yeah. who's going to dethrone Hendrick? It's it's going to take a mighty effort um, from somebody because uh, they've got an A list crop of drivers over there. Um, oh yeah, you know, not only Larson, the defending champion, and you know by all appearances, he's he's not going anywhere anytime soon in terms of his performance. Um, but you've also got William Byron, who's demonstrated himself to be a race winner and in all likelihood a championship contender uh, down the road. You've also got Alex Bowman, who this year was a contract year for him. He needed to make something happen, and he made something happen in a big way. He won four races and um, you know had a nice deep run into the playoffs this year um, and you know brought the 48 car back to a level of prominence that had not been seen for some time. Um, uh, you know, the last years of, of Jimmy Johnson did not treat that team well. And so, um, you know, Bowman bringing the, uh, that team back to victory lane as many times as he did in 2021, I think it was four, uh, four or five wins for him. Um, speaks to, uh, the talent they've got on that 48 team as well. Yeah. And then you got Chase Elliott, who yeah. was the defending champion in 2020 or was and, the champion in 2020. And almost repeated it. Yeah. And, you almost know, did. you know, and, and you got to think Larson and Elliott really racked up the road courses this year. Yep. They, you know, Hendrick was strong in, strong out. 
Um, one on road courses, one on a, a lot of tracks that that helped them. Yeah, and, every single different type of racetrack. Just about they they yeah. uh, took a trophy home, and and, and that's good. I mean that's what's making them stand out on the top this year. And that's, what's going to make them a favorite is because they do that. You know, they, they've got good chemistry there. Yeah. I mean, there was a point in the nineties that Hendrick had good chemistry. It, it, it was Craven Gordon and um, you had Labani and Labai. Uh, yeah. But, but then back, you know, Back in the 80s, when they had Schrader, Waltrip, and Bodine, you know, th- there was some good chemistry there with, with, with that team. And then they started, you know, then then they got Gordon, they, you know, run it, you know, was okay. But then, you know, they got Labayan, they got Gordon, they got um, um, Craven. And that just, that chemistry took off and that was good for them in the nineties because Gordon led the way and, and the other two really gave support to that. Um, But then, you know, Gordon and Johnson worked well together, but then they started having trouble. They they really, they, they really weren't competitive for car team. They're changing up the garages. It wasn't until Earnhardt Jr. comes over that, you know, the 48 and 88 are working in the same, gar- you know, um, garage building. Um, building. Yep. And their chemistry's going well. It, it's coming back. Here comes Chase Elliott. Dale Jr., you know, suddenly retires. Jimmy starts to retire. You get Bowman, Byron, and then you get Larson. So, yeah, th- th- that's the chemistry there, for yeah. sure. Yep. And you know now they've they've got it back, um, and you know they've got championship winning race car drivers over there, plural. So, um, so yeah, it's it's the 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 future is now and now is very bright for them um you know not taking away from uh anything from gibbs from uh from hamlin from truex um you know both of them they had solid uh seasons hamlin uh you know presented himself as the the most prominent foil to kyle larson and his pursuit of a championship this year if there was anybody that was going to um, take it away from him. It was going to be him. And, yeah. um, he, gave, he gave it all he had, um, you know, down to the, the very end, but, um, at the end it wasn't to be, um, and then, yeah, uh, Chase Elliott also, um, having, uh, a, a, a terrific season and himself being a part of the final four and, you know, def- uh, attempting to defend his, his championship. Um, so, uh, terrific uh finale all the way around um there were some other big headlines that came out of phoenix too that um uh are worth noting as well um you know on the xfinity side the championship was decided by a last corner last lap bump and run by uh the oft maligned daniel hemrick um who put the bumper to austin Sindrick 
in the 22 team Penske Ford um, and moved him aside at the very last second to claim yeah. the win and claim the championship. Um, that, for, that was thrilling. That was a thrilling finish. Um, and, you know, uh, Hamrick, he was another one of those that, um, you know, showed speed, showed talent. And for whatever reason, um, you know, be it by uh, his his actions or not, could never close the deal and could never get the trophy. And uh, but uh, was was a consistent driver and, you know, had strung together solid finishes all season. And that's what carried him into the, the final four. And uh, he saved his best for last. And in his last race with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing before moving over to Colleg Racing in 2022, delivered them the, the race win and the championship for 2021. So that was uh, an incredible race. Um, and then on the truck side, um, you had Ben Rhodes um, in an unforgettable win and then an unforgettable interview afterwards channeling Brad Keselowski of 2012. Um, uh, taking home the win and uh, a, a popular one and the championship as well for 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats to, to both of them. Um, it, it just shows what, what the, you know, what the lower series has. I mean, even in the modified ser- touring series, I mean, it came down to Bonsignor and Patrick Emerling and, that was, I mean, it came to Stafford and Bonsignor just ran away with that. So, you know, even in the lower series this year, we, we had thrilling races. For sure. So, um, yeah, thrilling finishes all around in 2021. And here's hoping we see more of them in 2022. Um, there's, uh, yep. There's a, um, a lot to be, uh, to be had. And a lot of, of a lot of work um, that needs to go in, especially on in the Cup Series, um, to get the cars on the track and uh, make sure they run well. And so that's going to be our our spotlight segment this evening, and we'll talk about that on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Fans, do you want a topic covered? Do you have an idea for the show? Do you have a, a guest that we should have on? Or you want to give us some feedback? Well, here's your chance. The From Checker to Green podcast is on social media. We have a Facebook page. We're also on Twitter. We also got Gmail. You can reach us at CK. RD, the number two, GRN at gmail.com. Everything that, that we receive from you helps the show out, and we'd love to hear from you. If you love listening to what we, what we talk about, why hear an old episode? We have some platforms we're on. We're on podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, and coming soon, Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. And now, back to the From Checker to Green podcast. 
Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment this episode, we're going to talk about the next generation of race car for the NASCAR Cup Series and what all has gone on with the Cup Series car, um, all the testing that's gone on here during the offseason, and what to look forward to in 2022. So with that, let's get to it. Um, David, as you know, the, um, uh, the, the work, um, the prep work, and the testing has been nonstop ever since the end of the, um, the 2021 season. Instead of um, uh, a few months off and a few months for drivers and teams to recoup, rebuild, and get ready, for the next season, it's been test after test after test um, with uh, this new generation of race car, and um, you know not only uh, working out how this thing handles, how this thing drives, but also working out um, some structural issues with the car, some some uh, working out some actual issues with a race car that um, involve rules, involve uh, working with the sanctioning body um, to make the car right, make the car um, uh, safer, make it, uh, you know, more competitive, make it, um, you know, a, a better racing product. Um, there's been a, a ton of work and uh, the latest round of that work here just finished not that long ago out, out in Phoenix. Um, so, uh, David, what are your thoughts on what all has gone on thus far? Well, I mean, the, the te- I mean, we, we don't know what's going to come out of this season with the next-gen car. We know testing, when they rolled it out, I mean, and, and we're going to have a very interesting spotlight on this because there's many different topics to cover, but the way that testing went, I mean, it started off with a few cars, then more, then more. They did Charlotte. They did the Roval. Um, they went to Daytona. They went to Bowman Gray. Um, Clint Boyer, Dale Earnhardt Jr. tested the, the next-gen car at Bowman Gray because where are we at in, you know, in the next week? We're at the L.A. Coliseum at Bullring. Um, they did Phoenix and, and actually Phoenix had 6,000 people show up for the second day of test from what I heard. Um, and, and that was coming from Sirius XM NASCAR radio. I heard, um, I was listening to trading paint this week to, to hear about the next gen car and some of the things that, that came out of it. But yeah, I mean, the, the testing, they're trying to, um, they're still getting a feel for it. Um, Motor Trend um, actually ran an article. Um, this was by Justin Banner on January 14th. So this was right after Daytona testing. And it said, why next-gen NASCAR racers are dog tracking in practice? Um you know, and he said they you know they look like they're he quoted that they look like they're getting a little crabby on the track, not the drivers, but the car. Um, you know, and I think that's just because you know what what they've done is you know they're it's a newer car, 
So what were they doing at Daytona? They were testing sprint racing. They're testing drafting. They're testing different packages. I mean, Dale Jr. Um, said, you know, what was quoted out of Daytona practice, I had saw that, um, you know, you, you take the car and all you do is a little, you know, you turn the wheel just a little and it reacts to like, if you gave it a hard turn. So these cars are a little, are, are a little more touchy, um, to say the least. Um, but you know, they didn't have any big racks, um, two cars, one, uh, you know, they had spin outs, which probably is going to result from that, that those cars being touchy a little bit, you know, they had some at Charlotte where like Kyle Busch spun out, they Hamlin, they saved the cars. Austin Dillon cracked the wall at, at Charlotte. He, he, and he cracked the wall really good with it. Damaged the, you know, damaged the front end on the car, but yeah, those guys were, um, you know, the, the, the testing, you know, every, from things that I saw and, and heard, it sounded like it was good. And yeah, maybe they were kind of holding back a little, but you, but at this point, you have to realize that these teams only have so many cars built. Um, and, and that's kind of leading to this next point that the winner of the 500 car may not be on display next year. And that's because cars have only two cars for each team. Um, they're hoping to have a third NASCAR's hoping they get a third and a fourth by the clash. That's something Richard Childress was quoted after Daytona qualifying. This was on J ski. Um, and you know, NASCAR says team can teams can have maximum of seven cars per team. Well, that's kind of leading into a, a next point I want to bring up Elliot. Um, but before we do that, what, what's some of your thoughts on the testing or they, um, well, to, um, to provide a little context to what you were talking about, um, as far as the, um, uh, Daytona winner, maybe not having to uh, put their car in the, the museum. Um, so for those that don't know, the um, tradition um, that goes back a, a number of years is that the race winning car of the Daytona 500 goes into the Daytona USA Museum, where it's on display for um, the full following year until the following Daytona 500. And then uh, where it's replaced by the race winning car of the proceeding Daytona 500. Um, because of um, supply chain issues and um, being able to get all of the spec parts that are needed for this new generation of car, um, that's, that's another huge change with this car, with the Gen 7 car, is that um, by and large, the teams are not manufacturing and building uh, the parts for these cars anymore. All of that is done by a third-party vendor and uh, the teams get the parts 
and they assemble them, they put them together, and you know, however they want to um, do that within the rules, that's that's on them. But um, at the end of the day, the parts are the parts, and um, they're delivered uh, to the teams as is, and uh, the teams are not allowed to make any, um, as far as I'm aware, not allowed to make any modifications to the parts or what have you. And we're going to talk about that some more uh, a little later on in the episode too. But um, the um, with that in mind, there are some problems right now. And I'll be, you know, this speaks to, you know, something that we see, you know, beyond NASCAR, beyond racing. This is, you know, something seen, you know, pretty much across the board. Uh, in today's day and age where it's difficult to get, you know, uh, goods and parts and pieces to market um, and get them delivered to, uh, to customers on time. And uh, that's, that's an issue that is ongoing with the, with the NASCAR cup teams right now to the point where, yeah, they're concerned about how many cars they're going to have available to them, uh, to each team going into the 2022 season. And that's a pretty significant concern when you're talking about not only this exhibition race, but then Daytona um, and the speeds that are run there and the potential to, um, you know, to damage a lot of race cars in, in one wreck as commonly happens there. Uh, yeah. And then the, the West Coast swing um, that immediately precedes um, the 500. So there's a lot of things that are are going on there and uh, a lot of concern about whether teams are going to have enough race cars to to manage at the very least the first part of the season and so there's there's um, certainly some discussion about that and and uh, whether you know it'll be interesting to see how the teams manage that and how the drivers manage that how aggressive they want to be so it'll be interesting to see for sure but um you know another point you made david was um uh, it seems that this car is more difficult to drive and uh, requires a lot more uh, driver input than the uh, the previous car, the previous rule package. Um, you know, the previous rule package uh, being primarily dominated by the low horsepower, high downforce package, where you could go to somewhere like Kansas or Vegas and um, basically ride around wide open basically yeah. for, um, you know, a, a good portion of the race, at least. Um, that is certainly not going to be the case this coming year. That's another big change that um, uh, was put into place for these, uh, these cup cars is that uh, the low horsepower package is going away and they're moving to, um, I guess you might say like a, a, a medium horsepower package. Well, um, well, and- uh- a landscape, yeah, uh, sorry, not to me, cut you off, but a landscape, the gang, a super speedway package. Yes. Like, um, what? Like, what? Like, well, the, the concern there being that, um, you know, Atlanta, after um, the, you the know, changes, oh, right? Atlanta, after I think it's 25 years. Um, mm-hmm where, um, you know, after, after uh, not having a repave in 25 years and having an old beat up worn out surface that drivers loved, um, but the, uh, the maintenance of it was becoming an issue. And finally, um, you know, it became obvious to everybody 
the track needs a repave. It needs yeah. it it needs some some TLC. So um, they um, they worked on that over the off season. They narrowed the uh, the racing groove in the corners a little bit, and then um, as you know, perhaps as a little nod to uh, Homestead or Darlington or both. Um, they put an extra degree or two of banking up at the very top of the racetrack, right up by the wall. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, it'll be very interesting to see how, how that particular um, facet of things plays out. But as we have seen, um, you know, for those that uh, recall the last time there was a repave at Atlanta um, was also when they um, completely reconfigured the racetrack from a, I believe it was a one point, uh, not quite a 1.5 mile, uh, just a straight oval to a 1.54 mile quad oval um, yeah. in the same configuration as Charlotte Motor Speedway and Texas Motor Speedway that uh, came onto the calendar that year as well. Um, and when right. they did that, um, the, they flipped the front and back stretch around. And yep. I mean, um, you, you, you can still see the old pits at Atlanta where they used to be on the, on the back stretch. Right. But when the cup cars returned that fall for the, um, the first race on this new, uh, track, uh, configuration, uh, fresh pavement, uh, they qualified wide open. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, with, you know, the old school, uh, Thunderbirds and Monte Carlos and Pontiac Grand Prix. And they ran around that track wide open. Jeff Bodine said a, a track record that stood for a long time at 197 miles an hour, um, running that track wide open. And so um, there was some concern with a repave and with, um, you know, bumping the banking up a little bit on the high side that you're going to see these cars travel at ungodly speeds and potentially unsafe speeds. Um, and so the decision was made that, yeah, they were going to adopt more of a super speedway package for these cars at Atlanta um, for, for safety to ensure that they're not going to go so fast that if one of them spins out and gets backwards, that they're not going to turn into an airplane. Um, yeah. You know, Lord knows we've, you know, we've seen what that, you know, can be at Atlanta. Um, and, you know, thankfully nobody was hurt in that episode, you know, recalling uh, uh, Brad Keselowski uh, turning over, I think it was in 2010, and not wanting to see that be repeated again. Yeah. So, um, you know, safety ruling the day um, for this repave at, at Atlanta. So let's, I mean, let's um, get into a little bit of the uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit. We, we've touched base on the parts or shortages. We've we talked a little about the testing, some of the packages changing up. Um, now, a, a big concern, and this came up on Sirius. This this has been a hot button topic this week on Trading Paint on Sirius XM. Um, actually, throughout all the races, when they announced it, what was, I believe it was. Uh, Monday, they announced it, and Tuesday the next day, um, you know, there was feedback re, um, galore, and that was the, the changes in the L1, L2, and L3 penalties. Now, right. 
the, this is on Jayski. I'm going to go through this and I've got, I've got a question to ask you. And, and this is going to relate to the part, part George, George. Um, now a L1 penalty now is going to consist of team source parts, not meaning the NASCAR rule book, not rising to a higher penalty level. Failure to meet minimum weight post-race, failure to um, submit and receive approval of parts in accordance with the NASCAR rulebook. You can lose 20 to 75 points. You can lose 1 to 10 playoff points. Um, Playoff eligibility is not affected. 1 to 3 races for suspension. For a member, a team event roster position, you can lose a position, no vehicle suspension, 25K to 100K fine. Then the L2 penalty involves if you modify a next-gen source part um, and or assemble not rising to an L3 penalty, Failure to meet engine real uh, engine seal requirements, major external engine parts not part of the long block that differ from the require what's required by the rules. Anything that alters or affects the engine control wiring system and or certified engine control system, wiring sub harnesses, onboard electro electronics that are not approved. Um, advanced by NASCAR, violation of vehicle testing policy, not raising to a higher level. Teams can lose 75 to 120 points, 10 to 25 playoff points, no effect to playoff eligibility. Team members can be suspended four to six races, and one to two position and team event roster position suspensions, no vehicle suspension, 100 to 250K. Now it gets interesting here. The L3, if you counterfeit or modify a next-gen vendor supplied part and or assemblies, engine infractions, not meaning the rules, cubic inch, displacement, compression, long block, and or internal parts, engine performance enhancements, nitrous oxide, vacuum leaks, anything to get some extra boost, ECU EFI parts not being used as the rules permit, alternating or modifying tires and or fuel, violating vehicle testing policy, 120 to 180 points, 25 to 50 playoff points, playoff eligibility driver and or team owner. No, you they will not, they will lose eligibility on that, or they can. Uh, a member can be suspended six races, one to two positions and team event roster position suspension. You lose the vehicle for one race and 250 to 500 K. So Elliot, going back to parts shortage, 
And Chocolate Myers brought this point up on Trading Paint. And he had said this, and I think this is this is huge. What if you wreck at a race? What if you wreck, you can't go and well depart because now that may be alternating apart. That may be an altercation that may result in an L2 or an L3 penalty. Um, they, they, they did come off of the whole, we're not going to suspend you an entire season for modification. But here's my question. With the, with the issues, do the manufacturers decide to come up with an alliance and say, we're going to have, bring all the parts you have, and if one of your team, one of your fellow alliances needs a part, you're going to, we may need you to help them out. So my question is, do you see something like that help? happening and do you see something like in the 90s when it was the final race of the year and you're going for a championship you're bringing everything from the garage that's a really good question um and first um first thinking about the the first question that you asked you know would there be kind of like a an oem war chess um as it were, for all of the teams that they could, um, you know, pull apart if they had to. Um, right now, I don't see that happen. It, it could happen later on in the year, but right now, I just think the number of parts themselves are in such precious supply and precious number that um, the teams need all the all of those parts that they can to assemble their race cars. So I don't think you're going to see anything like that happen for some time. Might it happen later on? Possibly. But by then, I think you're going to start to see the um, part, uh, the uh, part supply readiness issue start to resolve itself, hopefully. Um, now, with that said, it might be possible for, you know, uh, OEMs to hold on to a, uh, to a few pieces. Um, that might be something that, you know, the, the, their uh, member race teams might have a conversation about. Um, but um, I think that issue might, um, might fall onto the race teams themselves to resolve. A lot of teams have alliances with... Uh, with other teams, uh, and so um, you know, maybe that that might handle it um, most effectively for now. But thinking about um, the point that um, that you heard on on trade and paint, David is, uh, you know, if they're put in a position, you know, if the vehicle's damaged or what have you, um, or they're trying to to fix a car for a following race, and they have a a part that is damaged or what have you, then, you know, to that point, if you try and fix that yourself, is, you know, could that be considered modifying it? Possibly. So given the, the severity of the penalties, I don't think you're going to see a team test those rules. I just don't foresee that happening. 
Yeah. Um, I think you'll see a team reach out to another team if that, you know, particular part or piece um, is, uh, is lacking in their inventory, especially early on in the season. And, you know, say, you know, oh, fellow race team, could you spare me this part? But um, I, I don't foresee that um, a team putting themselves in a position where um, they could be on the business end of an L2 or in particular an L3 penalty. Um, to me, something like that, um, an L3 violation, that just seems like the kiss of death to me um, yeah. for a race team, not only in terms of um, you know, what they might be able to do on track in terms of, you know, being able to make the playoffs, um, you know, being able to, um, be successful, um, and, uh, you know, have a, have a good image, um, you know, be a sponsor friendly race team. Um, you know, the, uh, a violation like that, it, it calls to mind, uh, kind of what happened at, at uh, Richmond during Spingate in 2013, Mm-hmm. Um, where the fallout of that particular episode was so severe that, you know, a major financial backer of that team left and the team had to fold, yeah. um, you know, in the, in the proceeding years. So, you know, driver, you know, it, it, that, that had a huge uh, ripple effect. And so I could see something like that happening here with, uh, you know, somebody catching an L3. And I, I just don't, I foresee um, a great deal of care being taken with rules um, as they're written and nobody testing it. I, 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 I agree. I mean, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I don't think people, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to want to be on the receiving end of the L3 right now. Um, I think Daytona will be the biggest test. Um, and, you know, after this point, I got something else to, you know, I want, you know, wanted to have a, you know, kind of fi- some final thoughts as we round out this, this spotlight. But, um, you know, I, I think about what Childress said, you know, right now they got two cars per team. They're hoping to have three, four cars per team by, by clash, by Daytona, um, you know, NASCAR's hoping they have seven, you know, hopefully, but I think one of the things that I'm either, I'm going to, you're going to see these war chests later on, but one of the things I might see is you might see these teams bring that these teams that have four or five cars, um, the, these more bigger teams have four or five cars, they may bring, you know, extra, you know, instead of one extra car per team, they may bring a second or a, a third car there that, they may need to pull parts off of that. They may need to have if if they rock that they could easily convert. Um, I'm going to tell you, you're going, you're, you're getting into, you may be getting into what it used to be like for the Indy 500 in the month of May and teams, IndyCar driver, you know, you know, in in the eighties and nineties and seventies, burning the midnight oil, 
gang the car together. Um, but I think Daytona is going to be a big test. Um, and yeah, I will. I, I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see as it gets closer. I, I know we'll touch back on this, but I wanted to bring up one final point and I, you know, as we round out the segment, and I just want to get your quick thought about it. what do you think of the number placement? Um, it's that's a good question. Um, I think you know the the old school fan in me thinks that having the the number under the center of the door is as it you know as it was and as it should be. But with that said looking at how the teams um, have uh, responded to that change and how there was they're responding by by uh, changing their paint schemes and changing how much um, advertising space they have in particular on the sides of their race cars now um, I question from a, a financial standpoint whether or not that's having a, um, a positive impact on the sponsorship uh, contracts they're able to to sell, um, whether or not those uh, those deals are easier to sell now because maybe there's a little more space than there was previously, and if so, if they're able to um, to get a little bit more money um, on those deals because there is more space on the side of the race car for a sponsor logo to be placed, so. Um, thinking about that from a, from a business standpoint and giving the team some time to, to adjust and adjust their paint schemes and then potentially adjust their business model as well is, uh, you know, I think that I question if it's, if it's um, a net positive and if so, how much. And my reference for that is um, a, a conversation that uh, was had on door bumper clear about the subject last year because that was a um, a point and I think it was the uh, the all-star race that they were experimenting with moving the uh, the number forward yeah um, for that race and there was a, a great deal of conversation about that and uh, Brett Griffin in particular um, who I think in addition to being a spotter also has um, a background in uh uh, motorsports business and you know arranging uh, sponsorship deals and things of that nature uh, talked about how moving the placement of the number could have an impact on um, the um, on contracts that were already signed and potentially deal uh, on well on deals that were were signed and so with that in mind you know the question then becomes, well, does that have an impact on any new deals going forward? And, and you know, I would imagine it might, but um, my thought is, you know, my, my takeaway thought is if it is a positive for the teams and especially a financial one, because, you know, Lord knows they need it right now, then all the better. And I say, let's do it. I, you know, I, I have to um, agree with some of that. I mean, if it, if it is positive and it works well and the advertisement goes, you know, you know, and it's a little more profitable and the advertisement's going to stand out a little bit more and not get lost. I think that's really good. 
my only downside to the number placement is is I think if they're gonna do that, then they may need to take a a page from IMSA and you know and, and maybe this might be an advancement down the road, you know, with the IMSA cars. They had a um a number, you know, they, they kind of do the the number forward, you know, more more forward towards the, the front wheel, but they box it and the background's based on different class, like you know, color coding with different class. So, you know, I'm wondering if maybe you know the feedback and if a lot of people don't like the way the numbers look i mean you could leave the roof as it is but maybe you do almost with the boxier look with the number and maybe you put a background color as pertains to what manufacturer yellow for chevy red for toyota blue for ford which then in turn might give you a little more advertising space than what's out there. So I, I think I, I think we're going to see changes down the road. I, I think this is going to be an experiment in progress. And I think it's going to eventually look, and we'll have to see what it looks like on race day. Let's gauge it at Daytona. I don't think the clash is going to give you much gaugement on number placement, but Daytona will. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the Clash and Daytona are going to be their own, their own respective tests for these cars. And that was actually a question that was po- posed by by Jackie Arut on uh, SiriusXM, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago now. Um, the question posed to to callers as to whether or not they were looking forward to the Clash or Daytona more with this newer car. And so, you know, to your point, David, the, the number placement is going to have their its own they're going to have their own unique uh, moments in the sun going both ways, I think. But I think also the um, uh, different aspects of the car are going to have their own moments in the sun as well. I think you're going to see in the the clash, you're going to see the different handling characteristics, braking characteristics. Uh, Supposedly the braking is, uh, you know, much, much quicker on these cars, but it's also going to be interesting to see how tough these cars can be, um, you know, how, how aggressively can drivers rub fenders and trade paint without, you know, rubbing tires and cutting tires down. Yeah. Um, that's going to be the big takeaway for me for uh, the exhibition race in the Coliseum. And I think we're going to see no shortage of that, especially given some of the rivalries we've talked about from 2021 that, um, you know, I expect will probably carry over into this year, but then, on the flip side of that with Daytona, I think you're going to be able to see the, these cars kind of stretch their legs a little bit. And let's see how this new sequential shifting thing works out, how these bumpers uh, work out. I heard something, um, I think it was on Sirius XM, that um, the bumpers, especially on the Ford cars, uh, line up really well. So, you know, there's questions there about, you know, okay, well, how well are these cars going to draft? How well they can, you know, how well, how well will... Uh, one car be able to push another. Those are going to be, you know, questions that will be answered in Daytona that we probably won't, you know, we won't be able to see at the uh, 
at the at the uh, Bushlight Clash the Coliseum, but uh, it's going to be entertaining either way. I think. Oh yes, I, I I agree. I'm looking forward to it. For sure. Um, and speaking of other things that we're looking forward to, this coming weekend is the Rolex Twenty Four. Um, the 24 hour and uh, the famous 24 hour endurance race from Daytona International Speedway. We've got a lot to talk about with that, including some racing that's already happened there. Um, and we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Are you looking for something to give you that competitive edge in your business, event, organization? Well, then choose Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics will design your logo. They'll create business cards for you. If you need letterheads, they do that. They create invitations, flyers. They can even give you a social media post. Samurai Graphics accepts many different payments. And they're going to give you that edge that you need for your business, event, or organization, maybe even a party. If you're interested and want to get that competitive edge, contact Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com or find them on Facebook at Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics, your business solution. And now, Back to From Checker to Green. Thank you, David. The green flag is out, and the green flag is about to come out quite literally on the 24 hour, the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. And there's a lot of things to talk about with this race. So let's get right into it, David. Yeah, um, first thing early. is. Let's talk about something that's already happened and it's uh, generated a lot of attention and uh, a lot of positive inspiration uh, within the motorsports community and just in, um, in life writ large. Um, and that is the return of Robert Wickens to uh, competitive racing, Robert Wickens being the, uh, uh, the former IndyCar driver that uh, was uh, severely injured in a, a crash at Pocono uh, a few years ago. And uh, his mobility is uh, severely impaired now uh, from uh, the, the, uh, the lower back down. But channeling his, um, his uh, Alex Zanardi got back into um, a race car here in recent days at Daytona. And together with his co-driver, they put it on the podium. Uh, they finished third. And um, Robert Wickens back on a podium again in, uh, in competitive motorsports. So good on him. Yeah, most certainly. And, and to see him bounce back and, and to see how, you know, I, I mean, the medical field, the, the technology, I mean, you look at Sam Schmidt, you know, somebody who's completely paralyzed after a racing accident, driving a car using eyesight and his breathing. To, to, you know, speed it up, slow it down, um, you know, in a autonomous car, essentially. But, yeah, with Wiccans, I mean, 
you know, that was his goal was he wanted to walk down his wedding, you know, walk down with his bride, um, his fiance at the time. And he, he really bounced back and it's amazing how he bounced back with that. And it's really good that, to see that. So yeah, kudos to w- Wiccans. Um, I know the Mazda MX-5 Cup has been amazing. Um, if you ever get a chance, watch those guys race. Either watch them run the, um, you know, they run the Mazda MX-5s at the SEC runoffs. Um, watch them watch them race the season you can watch them online on imsa.com great racing um yeah there's been some thrilling events going on this weekend but it's leading up to elliot what's going to be the biggest show that kicks off racing season and that's the 24 hours of daytona the rolex 24 and um a lot of stories going into this BMW's back after a hiatus. Um, can wing Taylor racing with Ricky Taylor, um, you know, you know, the, the, the main team win four straight Rolex 24s who almost won the championship last year. Um, it's the final year for DPI as we know it um they go to a hybrid next year and another big story is since 2014 this is one of the higher car counts with 61 cars so in next year looking even more because the le mans hybrid's going to be invited to compete in the dpi hybrid class so um, a lot of good questions going into it. And I have the starting lineups. Um, they did the sprint qualifying again during the roar of uh, 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 the, the, the roar before Daytona or the roar before the 24 and Wayne Taylor racing put it on the pole. Philippe Albuquerque is going to be the lead driver for that. Um, then JDC Miller Motorsports is going to be second for DPI. Uh, Jimmy Johnson's team with uh, Kobayashi going to be the lead driver starting third. Um, some other nobles in LMP2. G Drive Racing's got the got the point for that. They're going uh, or sorry, PR1 Mathis and Motorsports is. Um, got the point for that with Ben Keating driving, which starting off eighth. Then we got LMP3 with um, Andretti Autosport uh, leading the, will lead the pack for that. GDT Pro TR3 Racing will lead for that. Uh, Windward Racing leads GTD category. But the other big story is can Ben Keating make history? He's going to drive DPI and he's driving the um, PR1 and uh, DPI. Sorry about that. So many categories he's ran. But yeah, Keating's going to run that. You know, can he 
you know, yeah, DPI and, you know, can he be historic and end up with three, end up two podiums in two different classes or win two, you know, the Rolex for two different classes. But there's also all the talent out there, IndyCar, sport, you know, um, IndyCar drivers, open wheel drivers getting involved. Um, I mean, Johnson, the former NASCAR. So, Elliot, what's your thoughts going into this? Um, well, one thought I've, I've noticed, and uh, um, uh, this is uh, an article in the Daytona Beach News Journal from uh, today, written by Ken Willis. Um, and um, article noted a couple of things. Number one, um, the that the weather is going to be uh, quite the headline this weekend and uh, not necessarily from a rain standpoint, um, but uh, the weather is actually going to be fairly dry this weekend, but it's actually going to be very cold and very windy. Um, and so there's going to be some attention being paid to that, um, especially the wind um, and, you know, any impacts that can have on uh, the handling of, uh, of race cars. Um, you know, certainly we saw that, uh, you know, from a uh, from the the NASCAR end of things at Kansas uh, late last year, um, you know, and that caused a lot of havoc there, um, and so you know that may have a similar impact here. But with that said, um, the article quotes uh, Scott Pruitt, um, who talked about uh, the cold weather being a, a benefit to drivers because um, you have a lot, and this is. Uh, a direct quote from him it's exciting because you have a lot of downforce a lot of grip and the cars are nice to drive close quote so um that's going to uh make this race interesting unto itself um, another thing that uh, the article notes is there's a lot of people that um are already there um and uh, the turnout especially on the infield is very robust this year um, and so from a, a business standpoint, uh, it sounds like the, um, the crowd uh, that is coming to see the 24-hour uh, Daytona is a, 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 a very healthy in size. And so that's very good for the Speedway um, and uh, very good for the series, very good for IMSA. Um, so that'll be, um, that'll be great to see as well. Um, in terms of, um, you know, some of the, uh, the big names that are that are entered in this in this race, you know, obviously, uh, you've got the uh, the premier road course teams. Uh, you know, Philippe Albuquerque uh, comes to mind straight away. Thinking about how close he was to potentially winning uh, the twenty four hour, I think it was either last year or the year before, when a, a tire failure very late undid that effort. So that um, it actually it was either him or Vanderzand. I forget who, it, but. It, uh, it was last year. I think it was Albuquerque. Okay. I, it, 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 yeah, because he was with a different team last year. And I remember seeing that. I'm like, because I thought, man, he's reeling in the, he, he's like reeling in the 10. And there goes the tire. Yep. And it was, it was pit strategy last year. Um, and I, and you know, Wayne Taylor is like going to be out for it because especially what happened at Petit this year, 
Yeah. And, and the finish and, and the way Ricky Taylor drove that car. Yep. That I was mean, insane. I mean, not, not to just say he, I mean, he cut the lawn in fashion, but <laughs> holy crow. Yeah. No kidding. Like he, he tried to airborne that thing and man, yeah. it, um, it, it, and the 31 has a whole new lineup. Yeah. I mean, is this going to be the year that Jimmy Johnson's team that might, you know, say, hey, we do well at the 24. Is there a chance that we could run some other races instead of the Endurance Cup? I mean, you got Kobayashi, who, who, who's an experienced driver. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to put it this way. If I'm going to say someone's going to dethrone Taylor in DPI, it's going to be 48. That'll be or interesting Shank. Or yeah. Shank with mm-hmm. Pagina, Castroneves, Jarvis, and Bloomquist. Yeah. That yeah. Is, that's a solid lineup. It is. Um, you know, when you talk about all the, um, uh, the notable talent coming over from, uh, you know, not only – open wheel from IndyCar, but also from the stock car world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Austin Sindrick in the number yeah. 15 entry, the Proton entry for uh, uh, the GTD Pro category. Um, yeah. he, is, he ran today in, in the Michelin Pilot Series. Yep. So he get experience. Yep. Yeah. And he's, he's got a, you know, very healthy uh, road racing record already. So that, you know, that'll be uh, very interesting there, but yeah, you talk, you know, you look up and down the lineup, especially DPI, LMP2. I mean, you got the, the the number of, of IndyCar uh, drivers that have come over to the, um, to the IMSA series to, to run this 24 hours is, is mighty impressive. Um, And it kind of calls to mind what, what the NASCAR drivers have done over the off season as well um, at events like the Chili Bowl and the Snowball Derby. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is kind of the same thing, but from uh, uh, from IndyCar uh, coming over to um, IMSA and uh, everybody having some fun running this uh, this 24 hour. This is going to be a fun race to watch with all those people. Oh yeah. And, and I think the, the one big thing, the other thing you're going to want to watch for is, I mean, you're going to want to see if Keating can, can do make history here, but Mm -hmm. watch the GTD pro. And, and the reason I say is in, in GTD, you got the, in GTD pro, the Corvette racing had a terrible qualifying car three and four. They, they respectively are starting 37th and 41st overall, but within wow. their class, within their class, four, five, yeah, that's, that's six, deep in the field. six mm-hmm. and seventh. Yep. So, I mean, look out, see, you know, see what they do. My eye will be on what they do. I mean, Milner's a hell of a driver. So, so is Taylor. That's going to be interesting. Keep an eye on Vassar Sullivan. They're starting deep. I mean, Vassar Sullivan's got their GTD Pro starting 33rd, but then they've got a GTD car starting 34th. So, I mean, 
those guys are deep in in back, and that's going to be very interesting this weekend. So I will say, Elliot, I've signed up for Peacock. I actually signed up for the premiere. I shelled out the five bucks a month. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But I mean, just because I'm going to want to watch IndyCar this year in Toronto, and that's on Peacock, but I'm going to watch all 24 hours at, on Peacock. Well, I'm going to try to. Rock and um, roll. I, I, I will try. Um, I don't think I'll stand stay up for the 24 hours, but, I mean, even the NBC commentary is great. I mean, Hinchcliffe is back. You're going to probably have Dale Earnhardt Jr. do some. It's, yeah, phenomenal. 24 yep. hours. Love it, love it, love it. And it's, and you're right, it's going to be good for business. Yeah. 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 Hopefully this, this is a really successful um, 24 hours of Daytona. I think it's the 60th uh, running of, yeah, the, of six, this race. So. 60th running. Let's see if history is going to be made because, you know, come year, come the 61st, I think it's going to be very interesting. For sure. For sure. So, yep. Well, let's, let's see what happens. It's going to be a fun one for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's jump into our, our final thoughts for, uh, for this episode. And um, subject of this uh, is going to be uh, who we think the, the cup champion will be this year in the NASCAR cup series. So um, David, why don't you go ahead and lead off and, uh, and give us your thoughts. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I, I'm going to actually give you my final four as well. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Chase Elliott. I'm going to say Larson. Um, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I see Kurt Busch doing it, getting in the final four. And I'm going to take a Ford and I'm going to say Harvick. And I think my champion's going to be, I, I'm going to say it's going to be, I'm going to go on the line and I'm actually going to say Harvick dethrones him. I, I'm going to, I, and the reason I say it is Harvick wins it and he's going to pull the, um, the ultimate thing and say, I've won it. I'm done. Bye. That would be a heck of a thing if that happened. Um, and you know, that's, that's an interesting pick and I don't really disagree with it. Um, you know, the, the Stuart Haas team, Kevin Harvick, um, you know, and, and uh, Stuart Haas racing in general, um, they had a tough season last year. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of the Ford teams did uh, just kind of seemed like Ford in general um, was, uh, you know, they, they kind of missed a step a little bit. And it seemed like, um, you know, even though team Penske had a really good year, um, and Ryan Blaney in particular had a, had an, uh, an exceptional year. I think he won three races. Um, it, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, the Fords were, uh, trying to play catch up for most of the year. And, you know, that was, uh, talked about in, um, uh, different points, uh, you know, Tony Stewart opined on some things and, um, and, but with that said, you know, with this new, this new car, new rules and everything, um, and, you know, moving away from, um, you know, a race package that was, you know, very prevalent last year. Um, I think this is all to, 
that team's advantage because, um, you know, they had to really do some soul searching last year um, and, you know, figure out, okay, you know, what can we do to make these cars better? They had to really get, you know, creative and resourceful to try and figure out how to manufacture some speed out of these cars. And by the end of the season, they were, um, you know, not only did you have Eric Almirola winning a race to, um, to get into the playoffs, um, you know, Kevin Harvick was generally a solid car all year and he was competing for wins by the end of the season. Um, and you started to see, uh, the other cars, the 14 of Chase Briscoe and the 41 of Cole Custer start to uh, improve their finishes as well. So with that said, I think you're leading, um, you know, that that team is building some momentum going into 22. And it's certainly possible that um, you can see the four car um, uh, not only in the final four, but possibly hoisting the, uh, the championship trophy this year. Uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um, my championship for, I'm thinking, um, you know, we talked before about Hendrick, um, you know, and how strong they were coming out of 21 into 22. Um, and I question whether or not they're going to have the same level of success this coming year that they did last year. Um, I think with the spec nature of this car, I think there's going to be a little bit more parity um, going through the field. And so, um, I think there's going to be some more cars and some more drivers, more teams, um, you know, having an opportunity to, um, to win a little bit more so this year than they did last year. So um, I think it's going to make it such that instead of seeing all four drivers, you know, not only make the playoffs, but, you know, have, have success in the playoffs um, and two of them go all the way to the final four, I think you might only see one of them this year do that. Um, and um, of those, you know, even though, you know, Larson's the defending champion, I think you might see, I think this might be the year that Bowman gets it done. He's been progressively building and building and building his, his, his record during his time in, in the Cup Series. And this might be the year that, you know, he really breaks out and has a, um, a big year and makes a run of the playoffs. I like uh, having somebody from, uh, from Stuart Haas in the, um, in the final four. I think Harvick is going to um, be that driver and uh, is going to represent them. Uh, I think you're going to see Ryan Blaney um, in the, the final four as well. Um, you know, he had a, a really good year uh, last year and he's another driver. We talked before about uh, Kyle Larson at the beginning of 21, uh, kind of having to figure out how to win again. Uh, not taking anything away from, you know, Kyle Larson's talent. You know, we know he's a winning race car driver and he proved it over and over and over and over and over again later on in the year. But it, it took him a little while, you know, the new team, new crew chief, you know, they had to kind of figure each other out and figure out, okay, how do we win these races together? And once they did, once they figured that out, then it was, you know, the, the sky was the limit for them. And I think he saw the same thing to some extent with Ryan Blaney as well. He's had a ton of speed in these cars and it, for whatever reason, you know, he's, he's seen a lot of race winning runs um, be undone for one reason or another, almost, a, you know, like a Daniel Henmark uh, kind of situation. But this last year, he was able to realize some of that speed and translate that into race wins. 
Um, and I think he's another one that is poised to have a big breakout year this year. My last driver is going to be Kyle Busch. Um, I think he's in a place where, um, you know, with the departure of longtime sponsor Eminem Mars, um, that's that's a big, you know, a, a big piece of news. And the, the pressure is going to be on him and that team to win and have a lot of success this year to attract another big name sponsor and big dollar sponsor for that team in 2023. So I think you're going to see him in the final four. Um, in terms of who I think is going to uh, hoist the, the title, um, I'm going to go out on the limb a, a little bit, and I'm going to say I think Ryan Blaney is going to get it done. Um, I think this this is uh, the the opportunity. Uh, you know, we, we talk about drivers up and coming, uh, and Blaney has shown that um, he can he can make a deep run into the playoffs, and if things work out just so, then, uh, you know, he'll be, he'll be a championship winning driver. And so I'm going to say this year, I think Blaney is the, the one to get it done. So, so we're in agreement. Ford wins the championship and Hendrick gets dethroned. I think so. It's, it's going to be a I, heck of a fight all year. I, and that last race is going to be a heck of a fight too. But, um, but I think, yeah, I, I think Hendrick, uh, um, you know, the, with the, the parody of the field this year, yeah. I think, um, you know, these other teams are going to, uh, you know, pretty much be on an even playing field, I think. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, you're, you're going to see uh, somebody from the Blue Oval camp hoist in the trophy in November. Well, it'll, it'll definitely be, it'll definitely be interesting season and we're only a few weeks away. So Yes, let's sir. rock yep let's go green let's do it yeah um this has been episode number 31 of the from checker to green podcast i am elliot tardif saying thank you very much for listening and for your listenership of this episode and we can't wait to come back in episode number 32 break down the rolex 24 and look ahead to daytona speed weeks so thank you very much and we'll see you in the next episode and i'm david my Thank you for your listenership. We're going to have a great episode. We also will be talking a little IndyCar too. Um, had a thrilling race at the end of the year, but yeah, we thank you. We appreciate it. Keep listening. We, we see the plays. Thank you again. This is From Checker to Green. Thank you for listening to the From Checker to Green podcast. And always, you can listen to us at podcast.com, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play Music. Enjoy the race weekend.